Welcome to episode 12 of the Michael Anthony Show. Um, I am here with two individuals today for the first time since the show began, one being Connor Doby. Um, something we're not going to speak about is um, a personal tragedy that occurred in his life this week, but we are censored, so we won't go into it. At least, right. are you going to attempt to pretend to be okay? We're yeah. not expecting you to say too much. I think a lot of the listeners know your situation, but all I can say is the MA family supports you. And um, Today, interestingly enough, we are also joined by Trinity College engineering graduate to master's level, not just undergraduate level, and world traveller, Gary Beardsley. Gary, how are you? Not bad, not bad, Mike. Cheers, yeah, on. Absolutely, no worries. Um, Gary's a very interesting man, as I said. He's recently just back from his travels. Um, you spent, what was it, nine months? So so two years in Canada. Um, yeah, about a year and a half in Canada. Yeah, um, then moved to... Austin, Texas. Yep. For about five months, um, over to LA for three months. Why did you only stay for five months in Austin, Texas? Because um, your intention was to go for, for 12 months. for a year, yeah. Um, but... The company I was working with asked me that I want to move out to LA. I'd never okay. been to LA, so I said, "Why not give it a pop?" And what? How, how long were you working for them in LA? Uh, about uh, two months. And uh, what, occurred, what happened? Why? Why did it only last for two months? Uh, the company went bust, as a lot of tech startups do. What um, did this tech startup actually do? <laughs> this company, uh, they were essentially tip to be the next uh, Snapchat or Facebook or Yelp mixed together. Yeah, um, okay, basically no, no. what pla- did they do? They videoed uh, small to medium-sized businesses and uh, sold uh, the marketing and the video rights to those businesses so um, they could appeal to a more um, younger demographic. Yeah, that's just jargon. What <laughs> did they do? So they, they went in, they rang. What was your job? You were on the phone, were you? You were working in sales for this company. I was on the blower, yeah. Okay, so you'd ring up a... Prospective client, and what would you what 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 were you asking them to do? What what was the service provided by this company? Service was provided that um so basically with a partnership with Apple TV, we come in and shoot and um, professionally done footage for our series. They had a chance to make it on. If they didn't make it on, which the majority, and when I mean the majority, I'm talking ninety nine percent, didn't. We then have this beautiful footage of their barber shop, their gym, and um, we'd attempt to sell it back to them. So what you were doing is you're ringing up companies going, do you want us to make a video of your business and maybe put it on YouTube? Essentially, yeah. Now, uh, I don't think the, the, the sheer gravity of this company is being um, um, rightly depicted over to my care, but um, we're talking Times Square. <laughs> we're talking publicly traded. This was D-Tech darling. As in Times Square, they didn't have an office. They didn't have an office. So what, what do you mean by Times Square? I'm talking billboards, but they they paid for an advertising. They paid for an advertising, yeah. But um, and what did what? Because there was there was a legal issue behind them going bust. It was quite dominant in the headlines. If you go back to around last February, March, they were accused of a lot of things and a lot of they were yeah immoral and unethical behaviour. Did you know whilst working in the company? And I don't know if you want me to name the company, so I'm not going to name the company, but. Big Review TV, while you, <laughs> while you were working in Big Review TV, did you know that the end is near? This isn't right. We're not actually doing anything. We're kind of lying to businesses here. 100%. There was no actual money being uh, brought into the company. What we were doing is just getting <laughs> contracts signed to potentially sell it to them in the future. And it then came out that they were cooking the books and saying that these potential contracts were actual 
um, money coming into the company. Um, nothing and, there. Nothing there. And you had a very, in terms of hitting your targets, you seem to go from a man who had no experience to sales to top of the sales table every week. Mm-hmm. There's a backstory behind that, though. Um, that is, wasn't yeah. necessarily due to your way on the phone or your knowledge of the business. In fact, you had employees yourself. Um, it would be great if you could go into more detail um, behind that situation. Um, yeah, so um, I had a friend working for the company at the time, um, and he's the one that got me the job. Big um, up Frankie. Um, so he had employees in uh, Bangladesh that he'd met via the internet. Um, <clears throat> who he would use to um, get them leads, source them leads, and, and uh, reach out to companies. Um, so, were, were they, was it a man? Who was, who were these people? His name was Bilal. Um, great bloke, um, referred to as commonly as Sir. Um, I believe his wife was then employed for us, and also his, his <laughs> uncle. Um, so, you had three people yeah. that were contacted over the internet. Yeah. Bilal, his wife, and his uncle mm-hmm. doing most of the work. Doing the majority of the work, yeah. Now, keep in mind that the monthly income in Bangladesh is about 60 US dollars. We were paying uh, Bilal 100 bucks um, <laughs> a month. I know, a week, actually, I believe. But that was split between three of them, but still it came out significantly higher than the average monthly income. Yeah. So you could say that we were doing them a great favour. Yeah, so Bilal was like opening brothels and shit in Bangladesh <laughs> with that money. Uh, that is crazy. And would they get the work done? They're hard workers from hard those workers, parts. Yeah. Have you heard about the kind of demographics of Bangladesh? We're talking about 120 million people squashed into a country not much yeah. bigger than our own. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's absolutely insane. There's houses built on houses just to fit them in. Mm-hmm. It's like Sims. It's not funny. Um, how appreciative was Bilal of your employment? Um, yeah, he was just very, very uh, thankful anytime we talked to him uh, via Skype. Had a couple of phone conversations with him, um, and he still kept up that uh, professional charisma. So I wish him all the best in the future. And what do you think he's doing in the future? Um, I'd imagine he's, he's probably working for um, other people that we may put him in touch with. Um, also doing similar enough uh, soul-destroying sales roles throughout the universe. And is sales something that you'd see yourself going back into uh, as a profession? Um, maybe not unless it involves some kind of uh, technical input at the same time. Because at the peak of your kind of performance in sales, you thought this is something that might be for me. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was extremely um, good, quick money at a young age. But without the Bangladeshis... You wouldn't have been getting that money. Would wouldn't have been getting that money without them. So. Uh, so you went on a grad visa where the country has uh, has a deal with um, uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a relationship going back years. Yeah. John F. Kennedy, all that kind of stuff, the famine, and you went over, kind of representing our nation as a graduate of one of the country's finest universities to master's level engineering. That's a complex, complex topic. You go over. And within a month, you take a sales role in a bogey um, boiler room, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Hire a Bangladeshi family to source your leads and pay him one-eighth of your overall salary. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. But what you'll find is um, there's a lot of flaws in that, uh, in that visa program, as you know yourself. Yeah. A lot of people end up working in bars just because it's very difficult to get into a, a larger company because... They're not willing to take you on. You're only there uh, temporarily. 
So a lot of people uh, end up working in, in fields that are absolutely nothing with what, what they got to study. You're oh, yeah. There for the oh, no one's criticizing that. America. And working in a testosterone-fueled boiler room yeah. is probably the best way. Oh, absolutely. Life. And and nobody nobody's criticizing that for a second. I just <laughs> think uh, the, the humor lies in Irishman 24 employing Bangladeshi family. I think that if the authorities were aware of such activity, the visa program might be quickly shut down. But nobody's criticizing um, what you did and, and what you worked in, so I, I'd appreciate the tone just to be just to be brought down slightly. Um, now, as I said, you were walking around Austin like you were Jordan Belfort. Uh, you were drinking mimosas at nine o'clock in the day on a Tuesday, nine o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, and then spending your evenings in a rooftop gym. All quickly ended. The day big review went bust. Describe for me the scenes in the office the day you were told um, in the Austin office because you moved to LA because mm, yeah. it wasn't you weren't like given a promotion or you weren't told there's an opportunity. The Austin one literally you walked in one day and the place was empty. It was dissolved. Yeah, immediately there was a lot of people uh, very angry. I remember people uh, punching whiteboards. Uh, these these dudes had kids. Um, it was really, really awful scenes. They brought in like an external HR person to kind of talk everyone through the process, but within the blink of an eye, 20 people um, were unemployed. It was crazy to see. And then LA was going well for a while and the um, same thing occurred. The same thing occurred in LA, yeah. And now the while. company's finished. Yeah. You said at one point, because when you, you when you were low on money following the loss of the job that you yourself were thinking of contacting a journalist in order to um, give away... <laughs> Some information about just how big the atrocities occurring in this business were. Is that mm-hmm. something you ever followed up on? It is, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I spoke with uh, Shapiro, I believe, the, the journalist for the Australian Financial Review. Is. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to basically tell him how bogey the business you were working for was. Yeah, yeah. So an, an, an ex-employee gave him my phone number and uh, <laughs> I was happy enough to talk to him. But um, So not only did you go over, go into a boiler room, hire a Bangladeshi family, but when all went belly up, you then sought to betray your employers for even more money by contacting journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a very interesting year so far. Did they pick up your story? Or? Um, yeah, there was, there was quotes in the, in the article from myself. So <clears throat> that's, it's, it's all very interesting so far, but then you made your final move of, of the overall grad visa, yep. Austin to L.A., and then to New York City. Yeah. Um, the job you got in New York, for me, is perhaps the most interesting. Um, it's a weird one. It's not one that I've really heard. Why don't you just go into a little bit of detail about what, what that role actually was? Yeah, so um, I was working just off Wall Street in a, a company, um, one from Israel. Um, it was basically a network, an international network of patent attorneys that... Uh, Dealt in, uh, yeah, yeah, but I want to go more into the Jew thing. Into the Jew thing, yeah, right. So all Hasidic Jews pray three times a day, um, full on wear the same clothes, disgusted by the other people in the shared workspace we work. Um, they refer to it commonly as a frat house. Because um, there was beer and stuff there. There was beer and stuff so there. these really, guys you were working with yeah. were like curly sideburn yeah, yeah. Jews. Cur- curly sideburn Jews, That's... yeah. Some of them had, sometimes they slick back their little Jew curls on the side, which is... Um, <laughs> Uh, I believe it's when when they're in work or something like that, or maybe it's just... From Is that like their equivalent front. of gelling their hair? Yeah, something like that, yeah. That's like their corporate look. Mm-hmm. And, again, you were miserable in that role. You didn't really understand what it was. You are just working with, basically in a synagogue for these Jewish lawyers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the phone, trying to get the business. And then they turned around to you one day 
and also said because we've all lost jobs yeah. I mean I can go back to 2014 when I got let go with Milano's for just <laughs> refusing to learn the menu mm. uh, I was there for seven to eight weeks and I still didn't know what people's orders were she yeah. told me if you don't know the menu by Friday you will lose your job and I just couldn't bring myself to do something so pointless I used to like I'm not joking when you have to make your own ice cream you have to make the own, yeah. your, the, the desserts for people in Milano's and I'd just be so uninterested and disillusioned in the work that like I'd use my hands to scoop the ice cream up and shit like that it was disgusting oh. it was mean but I presume there's a lot of waiters out there doing things like that and we've all been in that situation I mean me and Connor lost our jobs um, when we were kids in Dieppe yeah. for um, basically we were both doing delivery shifts together mm-hmm. but as opposed to driving separate cars we used to go in one car so we could kind of like do the guards thing and kind of share a motor doing deliveries it turns out we were tripling um, the time it took to bring the food to the door and when they found out they were not too pleased so it's it's common in case you think this is a witch hunt but for what reason did you lose the job in the in the in the Jew law firm um, they packed up the the American operation I guess um, me and two other employees that were employed at the same time as myself um, were told that that they were they were going to discontinue the the New York office and one of them had just had a kid sixth kid I believe thirty five years old that's the type of um, the the guys you're dealing with six here. kids like I understand there's the kind of religious element and like they are into like the growth of a family and stuff yeah. like that but how could you even have six kids in a place like New York City actually. In, what do you make of New York City? I mean, you were in Austin, you were in LA, and you'd obviously previously done other places. Like, I, I think it's slightly overrated. I kind of think it's just like walking down South William Street every single day, except for there's the odd male person in there. It's full of bloggers, full of Instagrammers, and it's a very shallow place. Yeah. You guys obviously both work the bar scene. Is the money as good as they say it is? Um, yeah, sure. Connor will tell you himself here. The money is uh, humorous. Yeah, the money Worked is. it for uh, a few... A few months, and um, like you were on Dean Ashton kind of months. Yeah, yeah, league league one type type was yeah. But um, in the winter, like with the especially with the weather, uh, you need to start actually uh, burning the money to keep warm in the subways. <laughs> but um, with the money being like place. that, for what reason? Because you talked about how and the the sales job was kind of quick money and good for someone of your age. If the money was league one money mm. and you had to occasionally burn it in order just to keep yourself warm, um, why leave the bar job? Yeah, see, that's like a problem with a lot of people, and you kind of see glimpses of it over there. You see people at the age of like 40, 50 that have just moved over at the same age. But even Mike, you're like 28, 29. 28, 29. Yeah, even people that went over on the same the same visa as me, when you see it a few years on, you're like, fuck me, I'm out of here. You know what I mean? And they're so, they're just proper New Yorked New, off their mind. New Yorked off their mind. A lot of them pick up pretty severe cocaine and alcohol habits obviously yeah. from working in that industry you'd need to it's and they get so skinny but in an unhealthy yeah. way like bony elbows kind of yeah. yellowing skin it's um and and the rent and shit still through the roof so the money's all um it's all relative yeah exactly yeah. like what do these people spend their money on just gargle, gargle. just gargle okay. yeah they just start eating in in, in nicer places yeah. ordering more takeouts and, uh, and what do they eat they might get a, like a chicken tender into them like once or twice a day on the job. Yeah. But, uh, eating on the job. It's just for yeah. 12 hours shit. And they all kind of shag each other. You shag yeah. your workmates and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But the worst is kind of like when you see these people who are like in their late 20s, early 30s who went over with their mates originally but their mates mm. fucked off. Yeah. And they're still there. And mm. they're in like they're going to places like the crack. 
and they're kind of hanging around now with younger people just to try and make up for lost time New York's Mm. a very sad place if it captures you so I understand what you mean by Mm. saying that it wasn't for you in terms of um, staying and rotting in the bar scene and the money is it's it's an illusion it's an illusion and it drags you into a dangerous dangerous life but Mm -hmm. even old New York I found the identity's gone from the place I kind of found the culture is lacking. I think it's just got so gentrified and it's been so full of foreigners at this stage. I'm not yeah. smelling Sinatra anymore. Yeah, it doesn't have mean. that meatball. Yeah. And like Little Italy isn't even really Little Italy anymore. I didn't wasn't smelling the Tony Soprano aspect to yeah, it at yeah, all. Yeah, it's something that I was definitely looking for. <clears throat> disgusting. <clears throat> oh that my, worse than O'Connell Street. Yeah. Worse, yeah, the bars there are like the, li- the living room and shit yeah. like that. It's just minging and like previously mentioned one of the episodes Carol's that Irish shop was just full yeah. of them Times Square is not nice horrible it's a terrible place but Austin yeah but Austin has the identity it's kind of it's grown with commercialism it's become like a tech hub but the bars just everything's still there mm-hmm. like you don't you just can't find those places in New York City wow. so it's interesting um, and Canada before that is, is where you were and uh, Connor you're you're you're, an, you're a, well you're a cannabis user yeah uh, um, obviously Canada is huge legal, in the cannabis right? world yeah absolutely but legal, some of yeah. the statistics recently that have been published in the Irish media about the cannabis actually been grown in this country are nothing short of startling um, THC has risen from 8 to 17% percent yeah. over the last 12 years um, so basically you're somebody who in the past has lobbied for the legalisation of cannabis yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that that would fix this crisis, or do you think that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think um, there'd be more regulation on how it's grown, not just for maximum potency, but also to take into consideration the mental effects it would have on the youth. But the mental effects still exist, kind of worldwide. I mean, there is no doubt behind the fact that the use of marijuana is linked to conditions such as schizophrenia and psychosis you, know, mm-hmm. you have to go yeah. into the mental institutions in this country to see that um, as opposed to kind of trying to add in new things to legalise because there's people who go as far as saying let's legalise things like cocaine if we regulate it it would be much safer and yeah. stuff like that mm-hmm. should we not just be trying to promote an anti-alcohol message because let's be honest when people say alcohol is worse than weed we know that but the money's too big it's been going on for too many years we're supposed to trying to add things and fuel to the that fire should we not just become really anti-gargle in our advertising in our way about it? I mean it's only in the last 8 months for the first time you're not allowed to have a sip of gargle and operate your vehicle you shouldn't be allowed to step into a boozer and operate your vehicle if you said if you said the word Guinness or Heineken in the last half an hour you shouldn't be allowed to drive your car yeah, so, like, do you think that pushing the legalization of weed is something that the world needs at the minute? Um, I don't, I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it does, especially from a governmental point of view, because the amount of taxes and stuff it would bring in would probably be quite the same amount as alcohol. Do you not think so? Yeah, but it's kind of like smoking. It brings in a huge amount of tax, but money would also have to come out of health services in order to treat people. Who are suffering the consequences? But will the weed be more pure and not give people psychosis? Regardless of what it does, it's still mind altering, and yeah. it's still bad for a, a lot of your internal self. Like I mean, you're smoking. Weed still causes lung cancer and heart yeah. issues and a variety of other things. Yeah, I suppose, like yeah, inhaling burnt plant matter is never going to be good for you, but also it's going to alleviate the the healthcare system for the people that might have arthritis and stuff that are swinging out of hospitals that probably won't need to go because they're roaching big joints of cushion. Yeah, and the, yeah, and the vein, like. yeah. But again, it's all it's all very like a lot of people. You were saying something recently, like uh, what were you saying to me about the four year olds or something? Yeah, that the four year olds are taking weed now, or someone 
was uh, lobbying to let their kid have weed due to the fact that it was helping their pain. You know, it was younger, younger uh, yeah, before. Was younger, you were saying. Yeah, sorry, it was younger. It was like younger than four. Yeah. yeah so two, yeah. the idea is that you want to get these one and two year olds to be weed reliant from that young of an age. And when you say helping their pain, where is the evidence? They can't verbally tell you this. I They're just off their mind, brain. Doctors but, can do tests. Yeah, doctors do t- because they don't feel the pain as much. But if you gave them <clears throat> a big fucking line of white, if you inject a heroin into their arm, if you gave them four shots of whiskey, the kid's just sitting there numb. The kid, yeah. the kid's brain is altered when people say it numbs pain or it alleviates like agony yeah it, it's 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 a brain thing though it's in their brain it's like just so does whiskey yeah. have you ever have you ever like you and your mate ever gotten a mess fight offering nothing whiskey digging each You're other in the sore. face yeah. you don't feel it is weed not just the same kind of thing like where's the what does it actually do to pain, bars just kind of alter the mind. So you just want these kids at one and two just walk around out of their bin and it just kind of continues and they just become weed-reliant well, all the way through up. This kid was like bedridden with pain, so he wasn't walking yeah. around anywhere. He was yeah. just like, so the pain was just helping. But is there not loads of other meds pain. that can do the same thing? Maybe. Yeah, I know, I'm actually well, not. A lot of parents wouldn't want to give their parents or their kids. And how does the kid consume the weed, just out of interest? I don't know, yeah. I'm not sure. Does he smoke? Sweets or something, I don't know. They can Edibles. Any four, probably, yeah. I don't. I don't. I just. I just think that a lot of these people, and I'm not saying I'm anti the legalization yeah, yeah. of weed. I'm just saying if we're going to talk about it, it needs to be fair. A lot of these campaigners just ignore so many. Like they say, they say weed's not addictive. Yeah. Well, I know guys who do a lot of things, yeah. and the stoners smoke more weed than anyone does of anything else. They drink more. They smoke more than the alcoholics drink. Yeah. They they do more than the coke addict sniff. Like it, it's simple as well, it, it is weak. addictive, and it, it, it's chem- if you can break it down chemically and say it's not the lifestyle is everything that comes with it definitely is, um. But it's very concerning that um the stuff that's going around Ireland at the minute those yeah. stats are are crazy and the the suicide and mental health crisis amongst the youth definitely is linked to marijuana use and we just don't really talk about it because it's kind of liberal and left to smoke to cone. I mean, most people who are going around with a repeal of the eight t-shirt probably have a joint in their left hand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It kind of suits that left lifestyle and that's what's cool and that's what's in at the minute. So I suppose keep smoking uh, the <laughs> THC-ridden weed and, uh, I don't know, um, take your free pass to John of Gods with it. Um, I don't know if any of you saw the Gillette ad. Don't think I have. Which one? The one that was out there a few days ago. Maybe I did, I'm not sure. What was it? Did you know? Don't know. Basically, Gillette have used the kind of Me Too movement and you know the way they're traditionally oh, yeah. a best a man right can get. Yeah. And they kind of have images of like like about you have to be a true man and stand up for what men stand up for and they have like lads breaking up fights at barbecues and like <laughs> a woman's getting like harassed on the street. Like a woman walks by two lads and one guy like goes to go after a restaurant his mate puts the hand out and he's like, stop. And people are saying like... Some people are saying it's shocking and it's kind of like it's real anti-men. Other people are saying how like it's brilliant to try teach men how to act. I just think the whole thing's just so falsely acted and nearly patronising. If you think either side, feminists or menly men, are going to respond to that. The acting is so bad. What guy actually, when a woman walks by the street, your man's like standing there outside the shop and then just goes chasing after her. It's so embarrassing. It's just patronising, unbelievably poorly acted. Everything is crazy. It's like the EastEnders thing I brought up. Gillette, a company that has made its money off promoting manliness. One of the reasons... Harvey Weinstein was using Gillette before he went into Gwena Paltrow's bedroom, probably. It's promoted masculinity and now because they want more dough, 
they're now trying to go the opposite way and use a serious issue to make money. And either or, positive or negative, Gillette are going to sell razors off this. The more you talk about it, the more they sell. They don't give a fuck. It was slated in the media though, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was slated for reasons such as like, like men were coming out saying that it kind of they're sick of this whole kind of like anti-man campaign and it should be promoted and like maybe kids should be allowed to have a mess fight in the back garden because there's two lads having a mess fight and the lads are like, stop, don't fight at the barbecue. It's, it's crazy. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's absolutely insane. Um, something that I thought was, especially based on your situation recently, was, um, as I said, we're not going to go into the yeah. details about what's occurred, but... I don't think that surgeons should be paying tax. No, I'd agree with you. I don't think that serious doctors should be paying tax. And I also think there should be kind of rules about how we talk to doctors. I mean, you have to respect a guard if you see it on the street. You have to call them guard. You have to act in a certain way. But there's people going into hospitals all over the place today telling a surgeon how to do their job. There should be signs up on the wall saying, don't approach me with a certain tone. You should have to call them sir. People are entering people's bodies with knives and refixing their internal makeup. Yeah. And then just go home to yeah. their wife and kids. Come in let's see. Do you mean d- goes for an hour. ask their son how's FIFA games going? Yeah. And we just we just walk around and live with it. If anyone is in a hospital anytime soon and a doctor tells you what happens, you believe him. You go with it. Absolutely sick of it. Um, I don't know that that was just a that that just crossed my mind based off something else, but it's just something that bothers me. People arguing with doctors or blaming doctors for illness that happened in their life. I saw something recently that said, um, if you are fifty years of age, be prepared to be told you're going to die tomorrow at any time. Very you're not horrible. that much of a villain. It's not a doctor's fault. It's probably the fault of what you put into your body and what yeah. you've done over the years. If you go into a hospital, you respect doctors you respect surgeons they should not be paying tax there was actually a rule in this country where rugby players got a certain amount of their tax back uh, as athletes an athlete law that was passed i think by the fianna Fáil government under bertie ahern that like these guys like jamie heaslett and brian o'driscoll were getting a certain amount of their tax back after they retired when should doctors weren't doctors, yeah. doctors weren't saving people's lives they shouldn't be paying tax. It should be part of our tax. They should be viewed as like a road or a bus. Yeah. They're, they're public service. They save your people. It's a disgrace that they're paying income tax. Just, Any doctor. Just a quick one on the guards. Last night I was driving home. They're, they're mental. Right, they go on. But uh, they followed me into the estate. And I wasn't even going fast or anything. Pulled me over. What estate? Um, your house? My house, yeah. Pulled me over. Three guards in a one-mark car. Pulled me over. How it? How it? Uh, blah, 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 go on. Are you smoking weed in there? Oh, no, no, I'm not smoking weed. Take me out of the car, search me. Uh, some girl gets out of the back of the car. What's your name? Connor, is it? Yeah, I go, uh, why? Have you met me before? She goes, uh, no. And your man goes, you're full of questions, aren't you? You're not allowed to ask them questions. But hold on, how'd she know your name? He, she red checked me or something once he pulled me in. Said they're part of the drugs units, what they do. But why would you, why would they even have assumed that? I don't None know. of that makes sense. Insane. I couldn't ask him questions. I asked him, why do you think I have drugs? Like, that's none of your business, what we think. Sorry, this is a rare Michael Anthony show edit. For any listeners wondering why sometimes he isn't allowed to get his points across and is cut off and interrupted, please reference the story he just told. Enjoy the rest of the show. Um, guys, anything more to add to the, um, to the show? No, Because I'm just going to finish off what's pretty vital position in the all-time Premier League eleven. Um, before I do finish this off, 
um i just want to talk about the journey it's been so far um it's obviously provoked debate amongst you and i hope that you've enjoyed listening to it it's a pretty serious topic the english premier league is something that has affected all of our lives for the past two decades and even more without it i do not know what we would do what would your weekends be without it being on and for those who don't support a team or those who have no interest in english football i don't even understand how you live and because for me and for a lot of guys i know it has been everything um i hope you appreciate kind of my opinion on it um and just before i announce the final position of what is this glorious 11 i just want to go through what it is so far in goal edwin van der sar right back gary neville left back ashley cole center halves rio ferdinand john terry let's take a pause there for a second look at that quality midfield paul skulls ingolo kante in front of them, in the number 10 role, we have Wayne Rooney. On the right, probably the second best player ever to play the game, Cristiano Ronaldo. And on the left, the ever-consistent and ever-brilliant Eden Hazard. Yesterday, I nominated Ruud van Nistelrooy and Sergio Kun Aguero. Neither will make the side. Notable mentions included Robbie Fowler, Teddy Sherman, people like that. There's two more nominees going to be read today, as well as two more notable mentions. And one of them has to be Didier Drogba. Oh my goodness, what a player. Four league titles. He scored nine cup, he scored nine cup final goals. That's crazy. He scored four FA Cup final goals, four league cup final goals, and a Champions League final goal. Um, the reason he's not in it is because he scored 12 or less Premier League goals in five of the seven seasons, he was in England. Yeah. He was so powerful, so strong, and loved a big game. Didier Drogba, if he was more consistent, you ignored his consistency because he was such a big game player. Yeah. That can happen with players who do it. on the Because people only remember that, especially a lot of the kind of half-and-half football fans who aren't there week in, week out. They just see Drogba sliding on his knees in a huge game, and they just assume um, that's what he's always been doing. But he was inconsistent. You just have to look at the stats for that. But technically gifted, his holding up of a ball was brilliant. And every kind of very good black centre forward that comes along into the game for the next 20 years will be rumoured to be the next Drogba, which I think is racist. Lukaku doesn't play like Drogba. They don't have really any similarities. And he's the next Drogba just because he's black. It's atrocious. Like, if we want to look into racism in the game, we need to talk about that. We don't call white centre midfielders the next Mark Noble. Do you know what I mean? Um, But an absolutely incredible player and someone who did so much for the English game of course criticised for simulation and his attitude but he got it under centre half skin like no other players Luis Suarez also needs a mention there's no doubt about that Um, only three and a half seasons in England and he was only properly good for two of them and he was probably only world class for one of them but again He'd have a much bigger shout of being in the team if he was there longer. He's been brilliant at Barcelona, uh, low centre of gravity. Such a technically gifted player. Some of the things he did was that Liverpool were absolutely phenomenal. Some of those goals will never be forgotten, the way he turns on the ball. Um, A fiery man, undoubtedly. A controversial figure, but a world-class player. But again, I think that regardless of your leanings, you will have to agree that he wasn't in England long enough to be nominated. The final two nominees for the final position of the Michael Anthony all-time Premier League eleven, <clears throat> And as you know, 
whoever's name is said first here means they're not in it because I always leave the selection to last. So this will surprise some. Nominee number three, Alan Shearer. <laughs> what do you what what do you remember is Alan Shearer? Um, just that Newcastle kid scoring week in week out every week. Yeah, yeah well, great goal. The Alan Shearer who you oh, should be talking one, about yeah. is Blackburn. Yeah. Because in four of Alan Shearer, in three out of the four seasons Alan Shearer played for Blackburn, he scored over 30 league goals. He scored over 30 league goals in three of the four seasons he was at Blackburn. Alan Shearer was the traditional tape around the head, elbow swinging English centre forward that we just don't see anymore. Often accused of foul play. But, oh my goodness, what a goal scorer. What a powerhouse. I would absolutely have hated to have played against Alan Shearer. Even more so, possibly, than the final nominee who's going to come after him. His goal record is revolting. 260 Premier League goals. The most ever. Harry Kane will break it, but the most ever. And people also forget he got 23 First Division goals before that. So, in a way, 283 top-flight English goals. Um, Absolutely phenomenal player. His career... Could have been better if he had taken a move to Manchester United on either occasion that he was offered it. Um, post Southampton before he went to Blackburn and post Blackburn before he went to Newcastle. He only ever won one major honour, the Premier League with Blackburn in 1995. But that was the type of guy he was. Retired from England prematurely after Euro 2000, having scored 30 goals and 63 capped. But the consistency was insane. His Euro 96 campaign, just look at that to see what a centre-forward Alan Shearer was. A Premier League great uh, not the best pundit in the world, but he, he was he was physical. He was so good in the air. He was insane. Two-time PFA Player of the Year. Uh, not the most glamorous guy. And again, reputation and career suffered because of the choices he made. But he was a loyal guy, and we should nearly applaud that. And he also went for £15 million in the summer of 96. Yeah. World record fee. World record, yeah. £15 million yeah. in 96. And 112 goals for Blackburn in 138 games in the league. This guy was frightening. Set pieces the lot. They don't build them like Alan Shearer anymore. And it's extremely hard to leave him out of the all-time Premier League eleven. And listen, if I played two centre forwards, he might have been in there. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily have said that. I'd rather kind of played someone off the final selection. But uh, no. A creative guy as well. Wasn't just a goal scorer. Made unbelievable runs. Knew how to, could set people up. He was he was just the all round package. Um, hell of a player. Pains me to leave him out. And a face of childhood that none of us will ever forget. Thank you, Alan. I mean that. And especially thanks for not signing for United because you never know how things would have went if he had if We would have missed out on some great players and the butterfly effect probably would have ensured that the treble would not have occurred yeah. if Alan Shearer had signed. But it would be wrong of me to leave the guy um, who is the final position in the all-time Premier League eleven out. That guy being Thierry Henry. <laughs> Changed the English game. When I think Henry, I just think electricity, pace, speed, precision, consistency. 174 Premier League goals, 0.68 a game, matched only by Sergio Aguero, beaten only by Harry Kane. Henri was the real deal. Six-time PFA Team of the Year. Two-time PFA Player of the Year. 
two league titles, three FA Cups. World Cup winner 98, didn't start the final, but got three goals in the tournament. Euros winner 00, he did start the final that time. And when he went to Barca afterwards, he was good there too. He just was Arsenal. He just was Arsenal. That captain's armband, they'll never see a player like him again. The Premier League will be doing very well to see a centre forward like him again. He had it all. He mixed the power game with the technical game. His touch, his goal scoring, the way he finished. I mean, what do we even have to say about Thierry Henry? You cannot leave him out. Va va voom. <laughs> French flair, sexiness. Yeah. Shocking manager by the looks of it, but absolutely electric centre forward. Thierry Henry scored over 24 league goals for five successive seasons in the modern-day Premier League. Um, his last game at Highbury, it was also fitting, and I know it was only for them to finish fourth, but will any gunner out there ever forget him bowing down and kissing the ground, having scored his hat-trick on the final ever game in one of English football's most romantic ever stadiums? A true icon and somebody who you just cannot leave out of a Premier League eleven. Every single season. Even his performances to bring Arsenal to the 06 Champions League final. And we also have to remember he got to the 06 World Cup final with France. And him v Cannavaro was the Ballon d'Or game. Whoever won that was winning Ballon d'Or. And Cannavaro got the better of him and went on to win it. Um, Thierry Henry, true legend. And completes what is the Michael Anthony all-time Premier League eleven. Uh, gentlemen thank you for coming on and sharing your stories it's been a pleasure and I hope you do come back Um, appreciate it Mike yeah absolutely no problem I'm a show